0: What we are talking about is found in Luke chapter 7. So if you uh, will take your Bible, either the one that you brought with you or the one that was just passed to you, and turn to the New Testament Gospel of Luke and chapter 7. Bless you, Timmy. And we're going to continue to talk about Uh, broadly at least this theme of expectations our I think you could say great expectations that we have in life and, and that we think a lot of times that God has for us and we're going to ask the question tonight what if God doesn't meet my expectations? So maybe maybe you're a christian and at least some of the time christianity christianity to you feels like kind of a letdown and maybe you ask yourself is this really all there is to it it just seems like maybe you know there should be more to it maybe even so if you were maybe you were in the service this morning and you're hearing all of those stories that were told about the family who has lived in central asia and they're sharing the gospel among muslims and you're thinking to yourself man my christianity doesn't really look or feel like that most of the time maybe ever and so you begin to think to yourself has god somehow given me the short end of the stick or maybe you ask yourself has god given him the short end of the stick because his christianity seems a lot different than mine and maybe i prefer mine or maybe you're like i prefer his i don't know but just because a lot of those stories are to us seem like so difficult to relate to, and, and so maybe you're, maybe you're a believer and you think, man, I don't know that God has really met all of the expectations that I had for this relationship that I have with him. Or maybe you're not a Christian yet, and so you ask yourself, uh, I'm afraid that if I get into this Christianity thing that God's going to disappoint me. That it's really just not all that it's cracked up to be. And probably, in some form or other, I would say especially this year, this year of 2020, you have uh, faced some kind of, of disappointment. Like something maybe that you were looking forward to happening didn't happen. And maybe a lot that you didn't expect to happen has happened. And so you feel kind of disappointed like you know, man, I really had higher expectations for this year. And you feel like, why has God disappointed us or disappointed me? So that's the, that's the angle that I want to talk to you today from Scripture. Um, let me go ahead and read the verses we're going to cover tonight, and you can follow along with me. We're going to start in Luke 7, verse 11, and I'm going to read down through verse 23. Verse 23. So, reading from verse 11. Soon afterward, he, speaking about Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples, and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. That's to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. <clears throat> from, these, from these verses, I'm going to ask three questions and, uh, and give two answers. Well, I'll go ahead and answer all three. But the third one is really for us to kind of answer together and somewhat for you to answer yourselves. Uh, here's, here's the first question. What was the woman facing? I would encourage you to write these down, and you can talk through these in your small groups. What was the woman facing? So we read, there's really two segments here. The first one, in verses 11 to 17, deal with this woman. We don't know her name. And then the second section, in verses 18 to 23, deal with John the Baptist. So the first question is... What was the woman facing? Uh, somebody, somebody throw out an answer. You read it with me. What was the woman facing? How, could you, how would you describe what she was having to deal with in, in this section? What is it? Okay, good. So she's dealing with grief in the moment from the death of her son, but we also know that she was a... A widow, which means she had previously dealt with what? The death of her own husband. So apparently this woman is, yes, dealing, I would say, with grief. She's dealing apparently with the prospect of loneliness. If she doesn't have a husband, and if this son was, as it says here, the only son of his mother, and it doesn't mention other children, so probably even no daughters— She now has no immediate family, so she's grieving loss, loneliness. She's facing, I would say, the two words that I came up with is she's facing death and despair. Not her own death necessarily, but she's having to confront death, or death is confronting her, and because of that she is in despair. But yes, also grief and loss and despair. Loneliness. And you might think, okay, well, yeah, she doesn't have any family, but what about what about this, as it says there in verse 12, what about this considerable crowd from the town who was with her? Well, probably those are people who actually wouldn't be all that comforting to them because in in towns like this, usually a funeral was just a it was it was a whole community event. So they're probably there simply because there's a funeral taking place, not necessarily because they have this really close connection with the woman and her family. Like maybe they knew her, and maybe they knew the son, and so some of them maybe they're, you know, they're weeping, their mourning is genuine, but more than likely they're just there because that's what you did in town, is whenever there was a, a death, a funeral was a public thing. So there they are. Uh, you can could, you could probably picture it. They're in apparently the main strip of town, they're near the gate of the town, which would be like the main entrance where people would uh, commune, and they're carrying his casket, really, uh, through the town, and people are there to see it, and people are there to publicly mourn the death of somebody in their town. So even though she has this crowd there around her, they're probably not all that helpful, really, in, in her mourning and in her loss. And so Jesus comes into the town, and he sees her, he has compassion on her, and he says to her, do not weep. Do not weep. Does the woman have reason to weep and to mourn and to cry and to grieve? Absolutely, she does. And Jesus' first words to her are, do not weep. He, He might even mean it in the sense of, stop weeping, weep no more is Is the way you could could say that, and he interrupts the funeral, says he came up and touched the beer, the casket, the open uh, mat really that he 's being carried on. Everybody stands still, and then he says not to the woman or to anybody else in the crowd, but he actually speaks to the to the corpse, and tells the man to arise, and it says that he sat up and he began to speak. The man began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother, and they react by glorifying God. They claim that a great prophet has risen among them. God has visited His people. They say all of all of the uh, the reactions that they that they have here uh, show that they actually are now beginning to think. At least based on what happened, they think that Jesus might be the one that the Old Testament prophesied the one you know the prop, Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18 there's going to be a prophet like me come up from among your people and you should listen to him so when they say a great prophet has arisen among us they're probably meaning this is this might be the prophet that Moses talked about and when they say God has visited his people they might mean they probably mean this is the one that Malachi talked about when Malachi says that someone is going to rise like the sun to visit his people. That's probably what they, uh, what they mean. So they react appropriately, properly. So here's, here's the, here's the um, follow-up question. We said, what was the woman facing? Uh, here's here's the, the follow-up question for that. Uh, who was Jesus for the woman? Not just what did he do for her, Although I think that's part of the answer as well. But really, who was Jesus for the woman? What did, how did the crowd respond? Who did they think Jesus was? A prophet and... They, this is verse uh, 20, verse 16. They glorified God. They said, a great prophet has risen among us. And what else? God who has visited his people. So who was Jesus for the woman? He was God, the God who visits his people. That's who I think Jesus was for the woman. He's the God who visits his people. What was the woman facing? She's facing death and despair. And in her moment of death and despair, Jesus shows himself to be the God who visits his people. All right, we'll come back to some of those thoughts uh, at the end. But let's move on to John's situation. So, next question What was John facing? What was John facing? How would you summarize what it is that John is facing? Let's start in verse 18 as we think about this. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. So, question, why couldn't John visit Jesus himself? Why did he have to send messengers to Jesus on his behalf? Do we know? You can say it out loud. Yeah? He's a Baptist? He's a Baptist. Baptists aren't allowed to visit Jesus? <laughs> okay. Pe- people at one time were coming in to be baptized. That's exactly right. I think that's probably not the reason here, because after he had been baptizing people, what happened to him, Esther? Uh, okay, he's still alive here, because he's sending messengers. But in between his baptizing people and having his head chopped off, where was he? In prison. He'd been arrested. Okay, So you can go back in in Luke, earlier in Luke, if we'd read the whole thing. uh, In Luke 3.20, you would read about how John was carried off to prison. So John is in prison. He can't go visit Jesus himself. So he sends messengers. John still has these, these disciples who are coming to see him in prison. John sends messengers to Jesus to ask him... Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? John is in prison, so what is John facing? What are some of the things John is facing? There's, there are several things. There's not just one right answer here. What's John facing? The, the woman was facing death and despair and grief and loss and loneliness. What was John facing? Just throw it out there. What do you think? Hope? Um, okay, how? How? Okay, good, yeah. He's hoping that the Messiah is actually here. Is he sure of it? What did you say? Not, yet. not, not quite, yeah. He's, he's pretty sure. Like, he wants to be sure, but it's really just like, a man, I really hope so. Okay? Uh, so, so could we say that John is facing doubt? Okay? Uh, I would say the two words I came up with were doubt and discouragement. Doubt and discouragement. Now... At one time, so let's think back to what was mentioned about how he was baptizing people. At one time, did John seem more sure about who Jesus was? Very much so, okay? Because as John was baptizing people, he was telling them, and you can flip back and look at this. It's just a few pages back in Luke chapter 3, and in Luke 3, starting in verse 15... This is some of the things that we uh, that we would read about John. So, uh, Luke three fifteen, as the people were in expectation, and this is this is as John is as John is baptizing people, and they're expecting because of the things John is saying they're expecting the Messiah to come. So, as they're in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. So at one time, people actually thought, what about John? That he is the Christ. That he's the Messiah. That John is the prophet who is to come. So John answered them. This is verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John says, there's another one coming who is mightier than I. And even when, even when John says, hey, there's another one that's coming, again, I think he's probably being intentional by calling Jesus the one who is to come because even the old testament uh, for example uh, psalm 118 maybe you've you've heard uh, maybe you've memorized this or sung it in a in a song blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord that was a way to talk about this messiah the one who comes in the name of the lord the coming one so john says there is another one that's coming and then later in Luke 3, verse 20, we read about how John was locked up in prison. So in prison, John, had, John at one time had been sure, or at least more sure, of who Jesus is. Now he's in prison. He knows what's going to happen to him, right? What's going to happen to him? He's going to die. He's going to be put to death. He's going to be executed. He's going to lose his head. He knows this. And it, it's almost like John is just wanting, I guess, one last glimmer of, you know, and maybe you can, maybe you could relate to this or at least picture it, okay, you can kind of maybe feel some of what John feels. It's almost like John is saying, I know I'm about to die, I just want to be sure I'm dying for the one worth dying for, is probably what John wants to know. And, and he's maybe a little doubtful. He's very discouraged. And so he sends these messengers. Are you the coming one? I told people, John's probably thinking, I told people there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. Are you that one who is to come? Or should we look for another? So here's, here's our follow-up question, or, or our answer, I guess we could say, with John. Um. Who was Jesus for John? Who was Jesus for John? For the woman, he's the one who, the God who visits his people. For John, he is who? The one who saves his people? That's a good way to put it. The one who comes to his people. Yeah, the coming one. It's not much different. You might think, well, isn't that the same? He visits his people. He comes to his people. Well, yeah, that's the point. It's, he's the one who comes to be with his people. He's the one who comes to his people. And he comes, like Maddie said, to save his people. So John is asking this question. He's, might, he's probably asking something like, you know, through these messengers, are you the one that the Scriptures promised? And so guess what Jesus does? He answers that question by pulling these messengers aside and basically says to them, come spend the afternoon with me. And then Jesus, in that afternoon, if that's what it was, does all of the things in front of these messengers that the scriptures would have predicted about the one who is to come. Uh, This might be helpful. I hope it's helpful. Let's try it. Uh, Let's go to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to Isaiah. All right, Isaiah, and we're going to look at a few different things. But just go first to Isaiah 8, and we're just going to go through a few of these. There are a lot we could. Let's go through a few. Isaiah 8. And 14 and 15, okay? So Isaiah is in about the middle, uh, probably... Just past the middle of the Old Testament. Latter half of the Old Testament. Isaiah, it's a big book. Look for chapter 8 and verses 14 to 15. And this is what Isaiah says about the one who is to come. Isaiah eight fourteen. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem... And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. So Jesus was going to be a stone of offense for some people, which means some people were going to find Jesus offensive. Well, what did Jesus say there to John's messengers? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So so Jesus is saying, yeah, I know I'm offensive to some people. But blessed are you if if you're not offended by me. Uh, Go forward in Isaiah to chapter 29. So, uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 18. Isaiah 29, 18. Again, talking about the one who is to come, Isaiah says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see so what does jesus do for those messengers when he when he pulls them aside and says come and see what i can do what does he do who does he go to the deaf and the blind and what does he do for them causes them to see and hear right go to the next chapter verse chapter 30 and verse 19 Isaiah thirty verse nineteen. Isaiah says, "For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. You shall weep no more." What did What did Jesus say to the woman who was uh, who was about to bury her son? Do not weep. So even even as and, and by the way. Uh, I think John's messengers probably saw Jesus raise this guy from the dead and tell the woman, do not weep. And they might be thinking, hey, we've read that before. This is the one who's coming to us and saying, weep no more. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Isaiah says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. And all this, again, is showing all the things that Jesus did, opening eyes, unstopping ears, causing the lame to leap and the mute to sing. And the last one is near the end of Isaiah in chapter 61, and verse 1, where he says, where Isaiah says, uh, speaking again about this one who is to come, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, To bring good news to the poor. And in Luke 7, Jesus said of himself that the poor have good news preached to them because of me. So Jesus is answering John's question. If John is asking, are you the one the Scriptures promise? What is Jesus' answer based on what he does for them? The answer is yes, I am. I'm the one the Scriptures promised. Here's the final set of questions. So we asked what the woman's facing. What was John facing? Now let's ask, what are you facing? What are you facing? What has 2020 thrown at you? And this is where I'll I'll offer some things, okay? But really, you've got to kind of personalize it. You've got to be the one to sort of Evaluate your own life and say, okay, what am I facing? Maybe you're facing disappointment. And you've got to know, how do I handle being let down? How do I handle it even, if, even when I feel like God has let me down? Maybe you're facing depression. And you're like, I don't see how life can get any better. And you're facing maybe distress like you're being pressed in from all sides. I don't, I don't know, uh, I know. I know in some... I'm going to list some things. I thought, about, I thought about our situation as a youth group. So I thought even of some of you individually. And I just made a list of some things that I know people in our youth group have faced this year. Okay, so you don't have to raise your hand when it's you, but here we go. Uh, possible disappointments for us lately. Possible ways we might, this might be what you're facing, okay? I know some people uh, missed graduations. Like maybe they even missed their own. They didn't get to have theirs the way they wanted to. Uh, maybe they missed weddings. Maybe they missed funerals. They couldn't, I know of some who couldn't even travel out of town to a family member's funeral. Maybe, maybe you've missed family. You were lo- hoping to go see family and you weren't able to. Maybe you missed a sports season. You know, you're looking forward to playing ball and your season got canceled. You had to sit out a year entirely. Maybe you missed other kinds of performances, musical recitals, uh, or plays, or dramas. Almost all of us missed, uh, I guess probably all of us, at least for an extent, missed being in school in person, missed going to work in person for a while. Some Some people, some of us, uh, have, have had some type of job loss or job setback or a decrease in our income. Some of us have had opportunities that we thought would happen this year that had to be put off, either delayed or canceled completely. Some of us had trips that were canceled. You're looking forward to going on vacation or on a mission trip, and you just it just didn't happen, and you're disappointed by it. Many of us are disappointed by what the tornado brought, a loss even just of the familiar. I gotta be honest, when I found out that we were even having to adjust and meet at 3.15 on a Sunday afternoon, it's like, are you kidding me that we have to adjust again? We have to change again. We finally got a routine, and then you gotta change again. Okay? You know what? We're all here, it's not that big a deal. But you know, it just feels like another thing, right? It's just so unfamiliar. Some of, some of you have uh, or did for a little while. Lose your health. You were sick. You were in poor health. Some of you maybe because of the storm lost your property or some of it. Many people I know have experienced mental stress, emotional stress uh, because of what the, the virus or the storm has caused. A lot of us are living with added fear, like more fear than you've ever felt in your whole life maybe, and you're being more cautious because of it. And some of you have experienced the loss of life of people who are close to you. People who've passed away, that even if you did get to go to their funeral, that person's not here anymore. And you're, and you're, you're feeling the same kind of grief that the, that the woman felt. So, answer the question, what are you facing? And answer it, with, answer it by asking this question, who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus for you? And based on what we see Jesus doing for the woman and for John, here's who I think Jesus is for us at least most of the time, at least in this season. Jesus is the one who comes into the world that he made, and he visits his people. He visits the very people who brought a curse upon the world and he reverses all the effects of that curse so where the curse brought blindness jesus brings sight where the curse brought where the curse made people lame jesus makes them walk where the curse brings leprosy jesus brings cleansing where the curse makes deaf jesus makes them hear where the curse brought death jesus makes alive where the curse brought poverty jesus brings good news And where the curse brought offenses, Jesus brings blessing. Jesus, for us, is the one who, like he did in this funeral, stops death in its tracks and decides to go to the grave in the place of the one who's already in the casket. And he's the one who tells all of us who mourn, weep no more. He says this, we're told this about Jesus in Revelation 5. Weep no more, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. He has conquered. Jesus is the one who has come, and he is coming again, able to take all of our disappointments upon himself, and able to right everything that's wrong. That's why we sometimes can sing things like, You know, we'll sing a song sometimes called Afflicted Saint to Christ, draw near your Savior's gracious promise here. His faithful word you can believe that as your days your strength shall be. He's why we can sing, we're going to try a new song here in just a moment. When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. He doesn't run away, He draws near. To fire a faith worth more than gold, and there His faithfulness is told. That's who Jesus is. Let's pray. So, Father God, we are glad that even in the midst of all of our disappointments, all of the things that get thrown at us that would discourage us, that would cause us to be depressed and distressed and doubtful and in despair, that you are the one who doesn't leave us alone. In those situations, you draw near to us, and you ask us to draw near to you. You have come to us to take on our sorrows. You are the man of sorrows that we sung about earlier. You are acquainted with grief. You know it. You've experienced it. You've felt it just as we have felt it. And so when we come to you, we do so knowing you relate to our grief. And we praise you for that. And we praise you that one day you're coming again to make all things right. To lift the burden of these disappointments once and for all. And we want to live now in light of that day to come. So we pray you'll help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.